We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind and check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time, it's time for Taiwan This Week. Good evening and welcome to Taiwan This Week with me, your host, Gavin Phipps. And I'm joined on the telephone this evening from Tai Jong by the hosts of the YouTube and Facebook show, Current Affairs Taiwan. So, good evening, Donovan Smith. And good evening. And good evening, Michael Turton. Good evening. Tonight we'll be discussing the latest election news, a plan by Taipei Mayor Kerwin Jur to establish a new political party, a well-known lawmaker looking to go it alone, a call for an end to the KMT's use of the term 1992 consensus from within the KMT itself, questions about a cabinet proposal to get more elderly people back in the workplace, and a tearful Jeremy Lin. But we'll begin with China on Wednesday of this week, announcing that it's banning its citizens from travelling independently to Taiwan. Now Beijing is citing the current relations between the two sides of the Taiwan Strait as the reason for its banning of its nationals from freely travelling to, well, a free country. The presidential office is expressing its regret over the move, saying such political motivation is affecting normal exchanges between the two sides. And in a statement, the presidential office said that it regrets such a development triggered by political factors because it's not helpful to building mutual understanding or boosting exchanges across the strait. Now, according to estimates from Taiwan's tourism sector, the ban is expected to keep 150,000 prospective Chinese independent travellers from visiting Taiwan per month. And the tour Tourism Bureau says that over 1.67 million Chinese visitors travelled to the island in the first half of the year, and that was a 30% increase from last year. Now, Transport Minister Lin Jialong says the government will inject 3.6 billion NT in the fourth quarter of this year to promote an ongoing domestic travel programme as part of efforts to minimise the impact of China's ban on individual travellers. Now, the blame game, though, began as soon as Beijing had made its announcement on Wednesday, with some saying it was the fault of President Tsai Ing-wen's cross straight policies. Others blamed China for once again using threats and intimidation against the island, while others cited the pending presidential election as the reason for the ban. So, Donovan, there we go. Chinese ban its tourists from coming here yet again. Uh, yeah, and uh, this time it, I, I, find it, I, I find it a little bit puzzling. I think this time it actually has to do more with domestic issues than it does with uh, influencing Taiwan. Um, the uh, I, I, I I keep going over this, and I and I think that the 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 main motivation for them right now is possibly one of two different things. One is that they their strategy vis a vis Hong Kong, Tibet, uh, East Turkestan, and Taiwan seem seems to be undergoing a big change uh, from what you know to what I'm not exactly sure yet. Um, the other thing is is that in the past it seemed like they were doing this to influence domestic behavior here in Taiwan, but I mean they noticed noted themselves on Global Times uh, citing Reuters that this is going to have a zero point two percent impact on GDP. So I don't think that's it either. And of course, Lin Jialong, you know, announcing the subsidies that's pretty much going to you know cover a good chunk of that, except in Nanto. Um, now the the so what I think is going on is that the Hong Kong uh, protests are they're they're going to be seeping into people's consciousness in China and they're going on every day they're blaming the CIA and Taiwan for 
uh, for you know for these protests because of course they can't admit that the protests are directed against the CCP itself. So uh, what's the CCP to do now? Of course they're shooting themselves in their own foot. They want to influence the elections coming up, and so they're making a show of doing this that it's going to influence people people's pocketbooks, and therefore they won't vote for Taiwan. But at zero point two percent of GDP, it's not going to it's not going to impact that much. And uh, on the other hand, they can't bring in their individual, you know, their individual travelers to meet with the local, you know, the borough, borough chief, the, the borough chiefs and, the, you know, the temple uh, organizers and all of this. So they make it harder for themselves to influence election locally. So it's, it's a very interesting, uh, it's an interesting choice of move. Michael. Well, I think you've got. It's, first of all, it's aimed at the Western media, because now the Western media is going to say something. Oh, my God, China's punishing Taiwan, even though we here in Taiwan are either indifferent or delighted. <laughs> and uh, you notice that tourism, Chinese tourism has been on the rise for six months. Do you remember any international media reports on this? Nope. The media only reports negative news. And this China knows this. China knows it can play the media to uh, give Taiwan a negative image internationally. I think the other issues, of course, they don't want independent travelers running around here during an election and finding out all sorts of things about democracy that otherwise they wouldn't be finding out. Yeah. So I think the perception that it's some domestic thing in China is the correct perception. It really doesn't have much to do with punishing Taiwan. We're just a convenient excuse. Right, there we go. And I'm sure we'll have to talk about this more in the coming weeks. But now we'll move on to the nitty-gritty of the latest election news. And Kaohsiung Mayor Han Guoyu was officially nominated as the KMT's presidential candidate at the beginning of this week. And that confirmation took place at the KMT National Congress, which took place at the Ban Chao Stadium in New Taipei. And speaking following his formal nomination, Han vowed to create peaceful cross-strait relations and to lead the country on a journey to revive the economy that will, in his words, create an economic miracle in which Taiwan will be safe and its people rich. Now Han says he'll set up his 2020 election campaign headquarters in Kaohsiung and he's now soliciting members for his national policy advisory team and will publish regular updates on the list of members as the team begins to take shape. However, former Premier Simon Jung will serve as governor of the national policy advisory team but Han has repeatedly laid out his requirements for his vice presidential pick but he says he's still evaluating those potential candidates. So, Michael, everyone's going to get rich, but we don't quite know who's going to be telling Han how to do this yet. <laughs> it's obviously just noise. I think the interesting thing for this domination is the speed with which people in the KMT started jockeying to replace Han. You, you hear a lot of noise coming out of the KMT about how, uh, how people are thinking Han is probably not a very good candidate and won't be there the whole time. But I think it's not really great that Han has finally opened a headquarters in Kaohsiung. <laughs> so I have a permanent presence there for once. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. I think that uh, he's doing that specifically so the Taiwan News doesn't refer to him as itinerant mayor. Uh, but he's promised. Yeah, he's promised he's going to be in Kaohsiung now five days a week. So that should increase his presence in Kaohsiung. Um, and, and no, I, I think I think you're absolutely right. There, there's there's you know I mean we've been talking about it on the show for a while. Um, and uh, I'm sure because we've been talking about it on the show, of course, uh, other people are talking about it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you, know, I, you know, we've been talking about for quite a while now that, you know, Wu Duany originally wanted to run for the position, uh, and he wants to be the president. I mean, there's been no secret of this for years. 
Uh, he's been everything else. Um, and, you know, and then he turns around and he starts supporting Han Guoyu uh, to become the presidential nominee, which, of course, was a power play against Wang Jinping. But, uh, you know, I mean, our, our suspicion is that he wants to do basically what happened in the last election. Traditionally, the chairman is the presidential nominee, which has finally been broken. So for right now, the worst-case scenario for Wu Duanyi is uh, Hang Guoyu um, either go – well, Hang Guoyu, the whole election goes terribly, and of course he's booted out. But uh, more likely, he, I think in his mind, is that he, if the election goes okay – and he remains as chairman. In his best-case scenario, Han Guoyu collapses uh, like Hong Shouju did last uh, election, and then he fills in and steps in as the KMT nominee. I mean, right. he, he and Hong are ideologically very similar. The only yeah. difference is that he's a lot more charming and a much better politician than she ever was. But sooner or later, that, that far-right ROC ideology is going to come spilling out of his mouth again and again, and it's going to put off voters. And the KMT will have to do something. But, I mean, do you really see this happening, Michael, that the KMT have to do a repeat this election of last election and replace the candidate at the last minute? I... <laughs> do, you, do you think Han is going to win? I mean, I don't see him enlarging his base much beyond what it is. So, at some point, they're going to have to step in. Because the real question now is, does he have legislative coattails? And, again, I don't see that. People who vote for Han are Han fans. That doesn't mean they're necessarily going to vote for anyone else in the KMT. Maybe he energizes the deep blue voters to come out this time. Maybe. And what about, of course, of course his policies? Obviously, he's talked about getting rich, but he's, he's going to need something more concrete than the stuff he's been spouting in Kaohsiung. Exactly. So, so when the policy wonk comes on, standing next to him as vice president, how do you think he's going to look? It depends who his vice president's going to be, I take it, though, yeah? Yeah, for sure. I mean, Donovan, who could who could be his vice president pick? I, that's a great question. I mean, he's talked about somebody with uh, diplomatic and, and economic chops. Um, so I'm trying to think who in the party has economic or dip, diplomatic chops. Um, uh, Mike pointed out uh, Jason, who would be a great option, but of course, health issues. Um, right. Vincent Shoe's too old. Um, you know, I, let's see. I, I guess the most qualified person in the party would be Mind Show at this point. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I I don't see who you know uh, who can fill in. And to sort of get to your earlier point is, you know, will does Wu do anything? It's going to fall apart. Well, there is a pretty good chance. Um, but the weird thing about Hang Guoyu is Hang Guoyu has uh, that dedicated core support. Uh, he has it's right. something like. 20, 25% of the populace is totally in love with them. They, they, you know, like my building manager has, you know, a a sticker of them on his phone, you know. Um, And these guys, you know, they they, they kicked a 71-year-old guy in the balls the other day, I saw, uh, who was canvassing (laughs) for Terry Go. I mean... Uh, yeah, they're 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 passionate, um, and they're of a demographic, which means that when they vote, they're near their phones. They're you know they're going to be 
they're gonna, uh, they're going to be uh, they're, they're near their phones during the primary. They're the kind of people who are in their home cities because they're you know in that forty five to sixty five demographic uh, by and large. Whereas students, young people, tend to you know where their their residency is, which is where you when you when you vote, you have to vote where your residency is. So that means they have to travel. Uh, so they're they're going to be they're mobilized, they're passionate, they're going to vote, and they tend to live in where their household registration. Is. So they're going to be a high turnout group, but as Mike pointed out, they're not. You know, they. You know, he's going to have trouble breaking out over about thirty-five percent of the vote. Yep. Right, and in other election news, because we've got a lot to talk about this week in election news, Taipei Mayor Kerr Wen-Jur announced the formation of a new political party on Thursday. Now, according to Kerr, the Taiwanese People's Party will focus on upholding the principles of democracy, freedom, openness, human rights and law, and work towards bettering people's lives. And he says that it will offer voters another choice, in addition to the blue and green camps. Now, Kerr's top aide, Tsai Biru, says the mayor is looking to follow in the footsteps of Taiwan democracy pioneer Zhang Wei Shui, who founded the original Taiwanese People's Party in 1927. Kerr says he hopes the party will win about 10 seats in January's legislative elections, which are of course taking place alongside the presidential election. However, the Zhang Wei Shui Cultural Foundation isn't too happy, and it's issued a statement asking Kerr to reconsider the name of his new party out of respect for history and Zhang, saying that the use of the same party name could cause some confusion. So, Michael, another political political party, and will it be different and offer voters something new or not? I'm say, saying no to both of those. It just looks like a, another, yet another personality, you know, organized around personality. And I think uh, the idea that there could be some space there between blue and green is kind of strange. Uh, there's no stable of politicians out there who are not identifiably either blue or green that he can draw on. So I'd be very curious to see how this could be an alternative party. And he's already talking about, there's already some talk, I should say, of him running Guo Taiming, who's, of course, deep blue, Terry Go, Terry Guo, the, the head of Foxconn, who, who failed to defeat Han Goyu in the KMT primary. So he's running, a, he's, there's talk that he's thinking of, of working with an identifiable, very deep blue, with deep roots in the KMT. And that's going to be the alternative. I, I don't uh, see that doing very well. Donovan. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think my, my my first impulse is is is, is pretty much what Mike's saying. Um, the um, except that I think the chances are a little bit higher at working with uh, Terry Terry Go Terry Go. <laughs> it's confusing. Guo timing. Um, then I think there is a chance of that. Um, but he has money. <laughs> he has money, and that's exactly yeah. it. Um, that's I, I think the parties need. <laughs> he wants his money. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and it's a the the. But this is again, uh, the, the, all these parties keep starting up, and they they're all centered around one person, and that's the yeah. that's the big thing. That's and the NPP, of course, is having all its problems. Um, Another topic, but the is that these parties they get so wrapped up in individuals' egos that they can't seem to break out. So the the, the thing the thing is that I do think that fundamentally there needs to be a shift to politi- a political party or coalition of parties to that will replace the KMT because it, it's not working 
the, historically the party is too trapped in in, in its history. It, it, the KMT is trapped in its history in the sense that it's a revolutionary party to fight against the Qing dynasty. Uh, it's not really a current party, so that there needs to be something to replace it that's a little bit more Taiwan-centric, but uh, but leans blue, possibly. Um, and so there, there's a giant political space there. Whether this new party could actually fill that space, again, as Mike noted, there's too much of uh, individual's ego here. So yeah. if 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 Kepi can humble himself, and if he can bring in the right kind of people. And if he's willing to take a step back, then, yes, I think there's a giant political space for such a party to rise up. And what's interesting about Go Timing, uh, Terry Go, is that his demographics are like are actually uh, they're adjacent to Kopi's, which is very interesting. Um, Kopi's big support is among uh, the, his top group of supporters, 20 to 29, and university graduates. Um, Go Timing's biggest group of support is 30 to 39, and vocational school graduates. Uh, it's like they're they're just one demographic off of each other. There's a lot of overlap, but um, so th- there's actually some interesting possibilities for for cooperation there. Right, Michael. Of course, the name of the party, the Taiwanese People's Party. I mean, obviously, if Beijing was hoping to cozy up to Kerwinje, maybe that name <laughs> might be a bit off-putting. <laughs> I don't think I think they know Cohen just green, and uh, I think uh, I don't think they'll be put off by that. Right now, Donovan mentioned the new power party, which of course this week found itself well without a lawmaker because Freddie Lim announced that he's leaving the party to run as an independent candidate in January's legislative election. Now, Lim was of course one of the founding members of the NPP, and he said that he's leaving because the party has been unable to reach a consensus on its future direction. According to Lim, the NPP could not agree on whether it should support President Tsai Ing-wen's re-election or back a possible presidential run by Taipei Mayor Kerwin Jur. So, Donovan. Can Lim retain his Zhongzhang Wanhua constituency as an independent candidate without party support? Well, what's interesting is, for all intents and purposes, now the DPP is backing him. Um, the DPP announced that they were backing him, uh, and uh, they announced this about uh, within the last week or so. They announced they were backing him. They were also going to, or not back him. They were not going to run a candidate in his in that district. They were also not going to run a candidate in Hong Tsuyong's district, and they were also not going to run a candidate in uh, the district um, uh, challenging um, uh, Yen Quanhang, the uh, the son of Yen Qingbiao here in Taichung and the Dajia that area um, in that district, and which means that the Taiwan State Building Party candidate is going to run unopposed from the DPP. So it's sort of tacitly the DPP is already backing him. Um, and this, he, he came out and he left the party specifically because he said he's, gonna, he's going to um, support Tsai Ing-wen for president. So I, I think that to a certain degree he is backed by the DPP. I think he also knows that a lot of, maybe not all, but a lot of NPP supporters within his district are going to stick with him anyway. Um, so he doesn't have the, he doesn't necessarily, he's going to lose maybe some of the people and some of the institutional support, but he does, I think he's, in terms of the voters, I think he's got them and he's got tacit institutional support, I think, from both sides. Well, I think it's, it's crazy to me that the NPP is divided over whether or not to support 
Tsai Ing-wen. But um, I think what will happen is at some point, Huang Guochang, it's already been discussed for several years now, Huang Guochang, the, the major NPP politician, is going to be making a run at the Taipei mayorship. So, I don't know, I don't have anything to add to what Donovan said. It's, it's, this is uh, really sad because I was actually hoping the MPP would be able to expand into that space on the left and become a major political force. That would be a counterweight, that would be a green counterweight to the DPP, which is looking more and more to me anyway, like a pro-business party. But do you think, Michael, that maybe Kerwin Jersh should be looking at what's happening with the NPP for his own party that he's going to form officially next week? Uh, <laughs> it's forming, <laughs> it's, a, it's all an ego and personality thing, so I don't, and you know how people are like that, they'll just say, it can't happen to me. So, no, I don't see it, because there's a, the, the fight in NPP at least is partly ideological, whereas... What is Ke's ideology? Well, I'm not blue and I'm not green. That's a negative ideology. There's, there's nothing out there that's positive that voters can latch onto. Oh, Ke wants this, this, and this. I, I don't see it. So. Yeah, I'm really waiting to see what the, the new party, you know, the, the Taiwanese People's yeah. Party's ideology is going to be. I mean, up to this point, it's basically, uh, you know, his, his draw is he's practical and he tries to do the right thing, and he doesn't get tied up on, uh, in the ideology. But if, you, if you're leading a political party, well, you kind of have to have some kind of ideology to provide right. sort of a, a, a direction or guidance, you know. Right, um, right. So it, it's, you know, I, I, I wouldn't completely rule out his party yet, but I don't, unless he, when he comes out, and, and also note, and just sort of get back to what Mike was saying about the ego, He's launching the 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 party on his 60th birthday. Um, you know, I, if this is not a, a political, <laughs> ego, <laughs> personal, <laughs> ego-driven thing, I don't know how else you could really underline that. So we'll see what, what, what the details of the party are on that day. Um, but, yeah, it, 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 the signs are not promising on that front. But he actually, he actually said he's going to launch the party on August the 6th because that was the birth date of Zhang Wei Shui. And himself, yes. What a coincidence. Yes. What a coincidence. Could that be the writing on the wall? <laughs> well, hold on, hold on, hold on. I, 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 I'll have to ask Mansu. Uh, so far in this presidential election no cycle, way. He's already we got Mansu. Mansu's lined up behind uh, Terry Go. We've got the Badazafas lined up against is is, is backing Wang Jinping. Um, so we'll have to see which divine entity is backing Kopi again. I forget. And we'll have to wait and see. Anyway, we have to take a short break now, but we'll be right back after these rather important commercials. Welcome back to Taiwan This Week, and former Premier Simon Jung opened a big old can of worms this Tuesday when he suggested that the KMT cease using the term 1992 consensus. Now, Jung says the term should be changed into something that he says is more neutral, such as constitutional one China, Taiwan first. Now, according to the former Premier, the term 1992 consensus has become stigmatised as being equivalent to Beijing's one China, two systems formula, and as such, he says it's no 
longer fit for use. And Jiang also says that Beijing wants one China, but does not accept the so-called different interpretations that have long been touted by the KMT. So, Donovan, are we likely to see the KMT stop citing a formula for cross-strait ties that's basically the crux of its, well, cross-strait policy? <laughs> well, this, I, I thought this was really, really quite interesting. Um, now, he's actually an independent. I, I, I believe he's not actually technically a KMT member. Um, and he's running for president himself. He's an ex-premier. I mean, um, and so he's kind of a wild card character. Um, as Nathan Bado noted, uh, he's being the most open of the people who in, within the KMT uh, who are basically have, you know, think that they can manipulate, who think that Han's kind of a useless candidate, but they can manipulate him if they can get him into office. Um, now, what's really interesting about this, you know, replacing the 1992 co- consensus, he's absolutely right. It's totally tainted term. It's useless now, essentially. I mean, Xi Jinping killed that on uh, his New Year's uh, speech. Um, so this is really quite interesting. I thought it, I, I thought it was, it was it, it, you know, for somebody who's supporting a pan-blue candidate and running on his own, which is an interesting contradiction, um, I, I thought it was a very interesting statement. It, it was a very practical thing to say. And, Michael, what would the KMT call it? I mean, what do you think of the phrase constitutional one China, Taiwan first? Well, it's not very uh, mellifluous in English, <laughs> but it's, uh, <laughs> it works in Chinese. I think the real issue here is that the KMT cannot find a way to reconcile its pro-China ideology with a, pro, with a local identity. And this struggle is going to keep manifesting itself throughout this election, especially, as you know, the DPP is going to start ramping up the local identity campaigning. And, that's, <clears throat> and the KMT is going to be here talking about this. There's no way around it for them. And this is what it shows. Yeah, I mean, you know, Mike's exactly right. And this is what I was talking about earlier when I was referring to the KMT has, you know, has a legitimacy problem in Taiwan because it's not really identifying, it still doesn't identify itself uh, with Taiwan. So I do think there's this huge space politically open for a center-right party, uh, which the DPP has been vacillating on whether it's center-right or center-left. Um, and there's, so there's a, there's a role for a center-right party. There's a role for a center-left party out there. Um, but the NPP is not dead. Hong Se-yong stayed in the party, which is uh, interesting. So basically it's now, I think, an e- in the NPP, it's an ego showdown. Um, if Huang, Huang Guochang is is and some of his people are booted out, then I think the party survives. Otherwise, it becomes his ego-driven toy. The, KM, the, the, the KMT is, is continually trapped, as Mike noted, in its ideology of, uh, you know, one China and 92 consensus and all this stuff, neither, which are wildly unpopular here. Um, yeah. And he is trying to start a party to, which would, it is sounding like it might be centrist or center right, and there's a there's a, a space for that, but it's again his ego. So right now we're just basically tr- just watching everybody's egos unfold. Right, I mean, Michael, <laughs> do you think possibly Simon Jung came out with his statement because of what's going on in Hong Kong at the moment and the backwash here towards China's one system, one country formula? I don't know. It's hard to say because it sounds actually like something that he thought about. So for a while, and, and you know, the KMT's been struggling with this issue for years. What do we do about one country, two systems? Mind Joe had to reject it. Han Goyer just rejected it, right? 
So they, the, the, the 1992 consensus served the purpose of diluting the media, <clears throat> and uh, now it's outmoded, and they're going to have to find another way to talk about how Taiwan is part of China without actually doing that, and I don't think they can do that. This is the problem that everyone has who is not green. There's no space between China and Taiwan. There's no place between a democracy and its enemies. And this, I think, is a problem that Ko Wendo is going to find out when he starts trying to put together a party. I also thought it was very interesting that the Taiwanese People's Party, his new party, its initial flag and its initial ideology was the three principles of the people, and its original flag was a, was uh, had the KMT symbol on it, uh, on two bars of blue and red behind it. So uh, yeah. <laughs> that was an interesting choice. Right, let's so, move. Uh, Carry on, Michael. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to. I just wanted to say that the NPP did well with that because they embraced the Taiwan identity and they had an, an and then they were able to put together an ideology and a party that could appeal to voters. But without the, there's no space between blue and green there. You're going to have to be one or the other, right. and so that's the yeah that's the problem. And what will it be called if it's not called? The, the, maybe they'll call it the thing that what the thing that once was the 1992 consensus, but is no more. <laughs> Like Prince. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like Prince. There you go. That's right. We'll just put a symbol. Yeah, there you go. A symbol. A cross-strait, a cross-straitized symbol that no one actually says. Just, it's a gotten and it's a symbol. There we well, go. Well, they, they, they could go with a, with a new one, which is basically, you know, that we're, okay, well, we're all anti-communists, so why don't we call it the 1926 consensus? There you go. <laughs> okay, obscure historical reference there, but that's when the KMT basically uh, turned their, they, they, they broke their, um, their ties with the Communist Party in China, uh, and uh, started shooting them. Well, there you go, the 1926 consensus. Yeah. Anyway, let's move away from politics now and talk about work. Now, this is concerns a Cabinet Draft Act that seeks to boost participation of older workers, aged 65 and older, in the workforce. Now, the idea is being questioned, however, with some voicing concern that the move could result in employers hiring elderly employees to replace younger workers who have cutting labour costs. And critics are arguing that the government needs to factor in numerous challenges to reverse the low labour participation rate of middle age and elderly people before lawmakers take a final vote on the proposed bill. Now, the bill was formulated, however, by the Ministry of Labour as the government looks to tackle the relatively low labour force participation rate of people aged 55 and over amid a rapidly ageing population. Now, the draft bill will allow employers to offer new contracts to workers aged 65 and older, increase the flexibility of existing regulations that set the mandatory retirement age at 65. The new policy is being well received by the business sector with a head of the General Chambers of Commerce, saying that it will help meet business demand for manpower in the face of labour and talent shortages. So, Donovan, a good bill, or one that possibly, as some say, needs a bit of a review? Well, I mean, the general concept is good. I mean, I, I, I can't really speak to how well the, the provisions are, are going to work. Uh, I noticed that they left out soup. That, that's a big motivator. Um, but the, the, you know, fundamentally, the country is, has some serious labor shortages, and they keep, in the past, what they've done is they, they've increased, they've just kept increasing the number of uh, people they brought in from Southeast Asia, which is now past 700,000, but that's uh, getting some uh, blowback. Nanto recently had some uh, meetings, uh, and uh, Zhanghua, and here in Taichung, there have been crackdowns. Um, there's signs of hostility uh, building against uh, Southeast Asian communities, which is not a good thing at all. Um, 
And so I think they're looking elsewhere for for labor, and obviously, you know, bringing in more uh, elderly workers would be good. I think uh, boosting the the participation rate of women in the economy would probably help too. Um, but they, and that's why they're putting a lot of money. I know, for example, here in, in Taichung, for a while, they were putting a lot of money into the uh, into the um, nurseries, the kindergartens, and all that to boost. Uh, particip- you know, labor participation rate because fundamentally the the, the, the labor force is shrinking. Um, but exactly what's going to motivate uh, people to join the workforce? I, I I'm not an expert on that. Michael, I don't see it either. The people who retired now are the people who retired out of the old system. They have good retirements, most of them, or well, a lot of them anyway, and. Uh, the, the issue here is it would actually be really simple to increase labor force participation if salaries went up. Fundamentally, salaries are too low, and that's why people don't want to work on the island. So what they really need to do is start convincing businesses to uh, to pay people more, get those workers back from China as well. The workers are out there, but the money's not there. So it, I don't see this legislation having any great effect on the labor shortage issue. I, I, I think that, I do think that it's going to help um, that that all these companies are coming back from uh, China. I mean, they, 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 I believe it's now over a hundred companies and over five hundred billion um, has been pledged. Pledge. Now, of course, pledge. we're not going to see all five hundred billion of that. Um, those are pledges, but you know, we'll still see some billions, and we'll see some ten, tens of thousands of jobs return. Uh, we're already seeing uh, here in Taichung, which is getting a lot of these companies in the in the areas around the Xi, uh, in Xituan in particular, Xituan and Nantuan, which are near the the major industrial parks and science park. Um, you're, we're already seeing uh, an increase in uh, land values, and and all of this stuff will put pressure on wages rising. China's uh, wages have tripled over the last, I think it was decade, as I, I saw the, right. the the numbers. Um, and China's never been an easy place to do business in the first place. So you know, and with the rise of automation and you know all the you to use all these tacky catchphrases, you know, industry 4.0 and AI and 5G and you know, uh, but these things are making it a little bit easier to uh, automate certain aspects of 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 you know of the work. So it means that you need a rel- a slightly smaller number of people, but you you have a little bit more uh, flexibility or uh, ability to pay them better, hopefully. So I, I do think we're going to see some increase in, in wages, and hopefully that'll do it. Right, but I mean, Michael, if someone, if you when you when you're 76 and someone said, "Hey, do you want a job?" What will he be saying? <laughs> no, no way. <laughs> and Donovan, you're, <laughs> seven, you're 75, mate. Want a job? <laughs> well, it depends on the job. <laughs> I mean, um, you know, if they said to me at 76, do you want to be a rock star? I'd say, sure, why not? There you go. But you, you don't want to be picking watermelons. <laughs> well, no, apparently everyone picking tea, at least, is uh, is about, on average, 75 in Nanto. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it makes you live longer. Yeah, they and they. But by the way, they get paid well too. They they work for a few weeks and they make uh, you know what most people make in like two three months. 
Well, there you go. Move to Nanto and pick T. Anyway, before we go this week, Taiwanese-American NBA player Jeremy Lin visited Taiwan last week and into this past weekend, and he told fans at a seminar organised by Cathay Financial Holdings that his biggest dream is to play on the same team with his younger brother, Joseph Lin, who plays here in Taiwan for the Fubon Braves. However, it was his comments this past weekend that made the news as, speaking at a Christian evangelical meeting, Lin teared up and said the NBA hasn't shown much interest in him and every year it just gets harder and now he's struggling as a free agent and well the whole sorry episode appears to have been brought new things to the man who brought the world insanity well uh, he's obviously looking for a new team but he did win his first NBA title last month with the Toronto Raptors and no doubt made a pretty penny and then some while he played there so Donovan Lin's, <laughs> Lin's tears Lin's tears, are they going to get him some sympathy or just, well, a different type of insanity than the one he already had several years ago? Both. Um, I, I, I'm a, I am a little bit sympathetic in the sense that I, he actually, he came out and he said, you know, I, 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 I feel, he, he felt bad in the sense that, that you know, he, he, he had a championship ring, but he said he felt he didn't actually really deserve it. Um, and uh, he, he has, uh, he, from what I understand, he has a point. He, 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 he was on the team but didn't really play much. Um, you know, so, uh, you know, basically you're sitting on the bench and then, yay, you're a champion. And, and I think he, he felt a little bit of a, I, 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 I could see somebody feeling pretty emotionally conflicted in, in a circumstance like that. So I, I have some, some, some sympathy there. On the other hand, uh, he came out and he said he feels like the NBA has abandoned him. Well, the NBA doesn't owe him anything. Um, the NBA is what it is, and if you want to be a star in the NBA, uh, you know it's a, it's tough. And he already has, you know, he he achieved quite a bit considering. Um, and so, you know, he's made tons of money. He's been, he, you know, he's become very famous, and he can coast on that for quite a while so i don't feel a whole lot of sympathy and to say that the nba has abandoned him is laughable um because the nba you know it's it's you know the nba isn't isn't god is he seems to be confusing the two um <laughs> you know the the nba does not owe him anything he uh, does not owe the NBA anything necessarily either, but uh, you know. Anyway, so uh, so the answer is yes and no. But Michael, I mean, he was paid. He 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 was paid a lot of money, and then he wasn't playing in the games. That's sort of like being paid to stay at home. Yes. Well, you know, on one hand, you want to say, well, other thirty-year-old guards are getting contracts in the NBA, and so you want to say, well. One of the factors is that he's an Asian, and the NBA has always deprecated his athletic talent because of that. Uh, but on the other hand, he's a millionaire. I don't have much sympathy for him. He's had a he's had a wonderful decade, and he can move on and do anything he wants with his life. So it almost is like there's no God or something. <laughs> he could come to Taiwan to play with his younger brother at the Fubon Braves. If he wants, even. right? He could buy the Fubon Braves. Yeah, <laughs> yeah basically tenfold. <laughs> Anyway, that's where we'll leave it here this week on Taiwan This Week. And I've been joined on the telephone from Tai Jong today by Donovan Smith. And uh, good evening. And Have Ma a great weekend. And Michael Turton. 
Have a good weekend, guys. And you can see their show, Current Affairs Taiwan, on the YouTube and the Facebook from Sunday evenings at about 10 o'clock. And apparently it stays there for several days, Michael, does it? Oh, actually, it's up permanently. Permanently. We have a backlog of our shows. You can see all of our mistakes and mispredictions. Right. There you go. (laughs) Anyway, thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of Taiwan This Week here on ICRT with me, Gavin Phipps. And don't forget to check out Taiwan This Week podcast on iTunes and Android podcast apps where you can get access to all our previous shows. Tune in again next Friday evening at 8 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news only on ICRT FM 100.